Hello and welcome to another unexciting episode of the Hashtag Pistons Podcast. I'm Joe, I'm your host, joined today as usual by Piston Powered Zone, Kuka Hill, newly anointed editor, site expert of Piston Powered, Kuka Hill. You can find him on Twitter at Kuka Hill NBA. You can also read him on my site, truckthoughts.com. Also joined by us, joining us tonight is Tyler Mormon. You can read him also on my site at truckthoughts.com. You can find him on Twitter at TMormonNBA. I'm Joe. You can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore truck. Read me on Piston Powered, Palace of Pistons, hashtag basketball, and my own site, truckthoughts.com. So it's been a little bit. Me and Koo recorded podcast like last week at some point. I've been slacking, got a little bit sick, and then I was slacking some more. So some stuff has happened since then. Obviously, things have not been going great for the Pistons over the stretch. Um, we're going to start off with uh, some general thoughts on what would be when this comes out. Two nights ago, the loss to the Philadelphia 76ers. Pistons lost 102-116. The Pistons fall to 13-12. and Notable performances. Andre Drummond, of course, 21 points, 17 rebounds. Luke Kennard gets his first start of the season, scores 28 points. Uh, Reggie Jackson had 15 points, 7 assists. For the Sixers, Joel Embiid had 24 points and 8 rebounds. Ben Simmons had 18 points, 7 assists, 10 rebounds. And TJ McConnell had 17 points off the bench, as did Furkan Korkmaz. So, you guys can go ahead, Kook. You can start, Tyler. You'll go second. Um, sort of just general thoughts on the game last night. Um, you know, this game kind of falls in line with exactly what's went like one of the things that stuck out to me over this five game losing streak with the Pistons, like at the beginning of this game, um, the 76ers lost Jimmy Butler early on. And that was something that's like been going on with the Pistons uh, opponents on this five game losing streak. We got the Milwaukee Bucks. They lost Chris Milton before the game even started. Then we had a game with the 76ers again and B didn't play. And then I forgot where it was another game, another team, uh, do you know what I'm talking about? One of these. Um, Sixers, the Bucks. I don't know which other game they. Someone was missing something. Someone, unless it was against the Pelicans, because I didn't actually see that game. Oh yeah, the Pelicans, and then Anthony Davis went out uh, oh, yeah. with an injury early, and only had what was it six points in that game. He was pretty much a non-factor because he was hurt, and the Pistons lost all of those games. Like, so that that's one of the reoccurring themes that like the Pistons need to snap out of because especially in this December gauntlet, you can't be tossing up games like that, especially with players, star players being out. But considering just the game itself, Luke Kennard obviously is a big bright spot going on there. Luke Kennard has been struggling on the year, coming back from injury from the summer, coming back, then re- getting re-injured again, then coming back again, trying to get back in basketball shape. Maybe he hasn't been in basketball shape and that's been – Maybe some of the reason why he hasn't been playing as much, even though me and Joe talked about maybe we were worried about him just being buried in the depth chart. But he got the start yesterday, and he scored 28 points on 11 of 18 shooting, 5 of 8 from 3. And one of the bigger things is Glenn Robinson only played 7 minutes. So Glenn Robinson went from starting to only playing 7 minutes. Well, remember, he got hurt. What's up? He got hurt. He did? Oh, yeah, he did get hurt. I forgot about that. Yeah. But, yeah, he got – okay, well, anyways, he, he wasn't starting. So, he got moved to the bench either way for uh, Luke Kennard and Bruce Brown. So, 
Yeah, that's that's some of the things I've taken away. Andre Drummond. Oh, Andre Drummond did a good job at not going into this whole Embiid versus him uh, fiasco like he's been doing. It, obviously, he played to his game yesterday. You could see it when you were watching. Usually in the past couple uh, head-to-head matchups, you see Andre try to do a little too much and kind of frustrates the fan base a little bit. But this game yesterday, he just played completely to his game. He played exceptional. He got Embiid with a couple of blocks. He was active and rib protection, active on the board as usual. I mean, and, you know, that's about Oh, and me and, me and Joe Henry Ellison, the SS, the SS Ellison, uh, started to peek its little head up a little bit yesterday. Didn't, that didn't do much, but it started to peak a little bit above the water. Everyone thought we were way down below, but we peaked up a little bit yesterday. So we'll get a little bit more into everything later, but that's just my general thoughts on yesterday. Okay, and then Tyler, your general thoughts on the game yesterday. Um, I think Ku kind of touched on all the major points, but as much as it was a loss, um, I think it was kind of a moral victory for some of those exact same reasons. Drummond didn't buy into the him versus Embiid crap. Uh, he did his own pretty well against him, quite honestly. And within that, there was some rotational pieces that didn't look too bad. Jose Calderon didn't look dead out there like he has been for a lot of other times. Uh, he was 5 for 7 shooting, moved the ball okay. And then, of course, the number one thing, Luke Kennard. There was a coming out party, finally. Um, hopefully that'll wake Dwayne Casey up on him and let him play some solid minutes, maybe even start with a lot of these injuries consistently now. Yeah, I mean, I pretty much, you guys both touched on it all well. Um, Luke Kennard, I'm, we, all three of us, I think, are pretty strong, pretty strong proponents of that guy and what we think he's capable of. So his performance last night certainly doesn't come as a shock to any of us, but it's great to see him perform because he hasn't had a lot of chance this year. He wasn't playing a lot at the start of the season, then he gets hurt. Then since he's come back from being hurt, he hasn't played a lot. So really good to see him come out and really... And the thing is, he didn't just score it um, in one way. So, like, you know, last year there were a couple times he'd have some good games, and some of the time he'd have a good game, and really it was just... He just got a bunch of spot-up looks from three, for instance. This was the whole package. He had a couple shots that were spot-up looks, obviously, but he did a lot of it on his own. He created shots in the mid-range. That guy's crafty in the paint. He can get guys... He pulled up right in the Joel Embiid's grill one time. Like it was really fun to watch. Um, and then also is that just sort of as a moral victory, like you said, Tyler. Definitely Andre Drummond has to take one there. He he one hundred percent outplayed Joel Embiid in this game, and that's just you know they don't they won't play the Sixers again this year. This was the last time they played them, so it'll be nice for him going forward. It'll be nice for him to sort of have that in the back of his mind that. In the la- in the the final time that they played each other, he got the better of Embiid. So that's a that's a nice little mental hurdle to get over for him. But of course, all that said, it's another loss. The Pistons are losing too many games. This is we all knew this was going to be a brutal month for the Pistons, um, and it's <laughs> it it's not about to get a whole lot easier. But they're going to have to find ways to win some of these games somehow or another. And while, yeah, it's okay to take some moral victories from this game, given just how shorthanded the Pistons were, obviously without Blake Griffin, without Reggie Bullock, without Stanley Johnson, without Ish Smith, Glenn Robinson gets hurt in the game. 
So really, really short-handed, and they still didn't look totally dead. But, you know, it's they got to start winning some of these games. And I think it's going to be important to get out of December at at least 500, which is looking less and less likely at this point. Um, and we're going to kind of go from there into the next thing, um, which is basically, so Ishmith is going to be out for quite a while. Um, I believe the initial reports are that he's probably going to be out at least three or four weeks. Um, some of the other injuries the Pistons have had are probably not long-term things. Reggie Bullock is very likely to be back soon. Stanley Johnson almost played in this last game, but was a late scratch. Um, sounds like Glenn Robinson's probably not a serious issue, and Blake Griffin obviously was just getting rested. So, of all the injuries the Pistons had last night, uh, Ishmith is the only one who figures to be a really long-term thing. So, uh, Koo, you can start again. Tyler, you can go second. What do you sort of think or see the Pistons doing in Ishmith's absence, and what would you like them to see do uh, to try and fill in for him? Because obviously he's played a really important role for the Pistons early in the season. He has been their sixth leading minute guy, so he has been their sixth. No, he's been fifth. Yeah, he's been. No, he has been sixth. Sorry, I'm right. He's played 24 and a half minutes per game for them this season. He's played a really significant role. So that's a lot to replace. So, Koo, you can go first. What are your thoughts on dealing with the Ishmith absence? Um, obviously, it's going down hurts the Pistons, whether you, whatever your opinion is on him, whether you think he shoots too many long twos, he's not a good three-point shooter, whatever it is. If Smith going down hurts the Pistons extremely, it messes up the whole balance of the second unit and the fast pace that they, the change of tempo they brought to the starting lineup. But in his absence, there's a couple of things that I have an idea on, and I'm sure Joe knows a little bit about uh, one of them that I'm going to throw out there. But uh, first one is I mentioned this to a couple of people. I mean, Blake pretty much runs point guard. The offense pretty much goes through him half the time. So I was, I mentioned just, you might as well just put out like a bunch of shooters around him and just pretty much run point Blake. Just have someone who can get the ball up the floor and then just run it through Blake. And that's always an option when you have someone like Blake who can handle the load like this, even though he just got his first rest of the season. So maybe that's a sign of, hey, you're using Blake a little bit too much. He needs a rest. So let's maybe go in a different direction. So there's one, two. Uh, we could see Bruce Brown at point guard very early, much earlier than we uh, wanted to see. Um, that could, that's, uh, that's an issue. That's an option out there. Uh, next option is Luke Kennard maybe playing some point guard. That's probably not something that we want to see yet. Uh, maybe in some stretches, but not taking in full on from Ish going out. And Ho- I mean, the next one is Jose. And I know Joe has been been on me the past two games and when Jose first filled in I let Joe know please anything but this and Joe told me well actually Joe tweeted that hot take Jose's gonna be just fine and I told him he's drunk and then these past two games Jose hasn't been that bad so it's only been two games you know we like Joe likes his sample sizes so I'm not gonna give him two games but uh, that's always an option and then the option that I would like to least see now it may not be the best option to to some people out there, but some option, an option that I definitely want to see is um, Stanley Johnson, point forward. Let Stanley Johnson run some point. Let him bring the ball up. Let him guard. Let, let him pretty much be like a point forward. I don't know if you guys are paying attention, but 
the man who was drafted right after Stanley, Justice Winslow, is running a lot of point forward over there at Miami, and it's he's had an incredible week this week, but he's been showing the same kind of promise that Stanley has with the playmaking. They both are pretty good ball handlers, and Miami has actually let Justice Winslow run a lot of that. They let him; they've been letting him uh, do a lot of that playmaking. So yes, I I would at least like to see some of Stanley Johnson. Stanley Johnson's shown the same kind of playmaking ability. Now. I don't want to see the large spurts unless it was just like dominating people, but that's one of the options that, of course, uh, Stanley Johnson, Brian Winfrey get off from there. <laughs> um, I I haven't heard that Stanley take in, at all. I think I'd be kind of um, unoriginal, but at the same time, I see where you're coming from, especially using Justin Winslow or Justice Winslow as a reference point. Um. I feel like when Stanley's out there anyways, it's just he gets a lot of the primary ball. Um, he carries the ball primarily a lot anyways and just looks for cuts and the tap. So uh, with this much injury and depth problems of the point guard spot, it might as well just go ahead and try some of that. But um, I, I think the main go-to thing is just going to be what we're going to see the most is just Dwayne Casey bumping Calderon's minutes up, no doubt. Um and then on top of that, I think definitely I want to see more point Bruce. Um, tell that man not to shoot and um, pull up threes like he was the other night because that was crazy. He hit that deep one. He was feeling himself. He pulled up with a defender in his face and didn't even hit rim. But other than that, I yeah, I completely agree that we should see some point Bruce and uh, maybe a little bit of Luke Kennard on that. What do you think about that, Bill? Um, one thing I don't want to see is I don't, I don't want to see um, any Bruce Brown at point guard. Um, that look, we we all agree. We like <laughs> we like Bruce Brown. We like Bruce Brown a lot. I really Y'all like his potential. Trolling the video chat right now. Um, That's why he's laughing. <laughs> I like Bruce Brown. I think he's a good player. I'm. Gl- I think it was a good pick. I'm okay with him getting some minutes. But so I watched him two times live in Grand Rapids, and he played a lot of point guard. And uh, <laughs> I don't think point Bruce is anything we want to see right now. I think he has some potential there. He's not afraid to drive into the teeth of the defense. He shows some decent vision as a passer, but he's just not ready for that. And that's okay. He's a second-round pick. He doesn't have to be ready for it yet. But that's one option that I really think is not a good idea. Uh, I just think he is not, he's not ready for it. And that's really, that's just what it is. He's not prepped for it. He's not a guy, he just does not have the offensive skills to do that. Um, and like Ku mentioned, I and I tweeted out, I think Jose Calderon is going to be fine. Uh, he's not going to be as effective as Ish Smith overall. I'm not saying he's going to set the world on fire, but... I think for the most part, he's going to fill in just fine. Um, he did last year for the Cavs. He's, and clearly already he's shown that, you know, and Pistons fans have a, don't have to think back very far for this, okay, in recent years of where you get a sort of that veteran point guard and you get him on the floor and it becomes very obvious very quickly that they've got nothing left and have no pulse. Last year, Jameer Nelson, a couple years before that, Steve Blake, and Steve Blake is still like, I still sometimes have nightmares of Steve Blake dribbling into nothingness and getting blown by on defense. Like, I mean, my pin tweet is still a Steve Blake tweet. Uh, so 
Yeah, I mean, Pistons fans know that feeling of when you see a point guard who's sort of that veteran presence and they get out on the floor, it's just like, this dude has nothing left. Clearly, Jose Calderon is not that. Um, And, no, last night's game, he actually didn't play that well. He had four turnovers, and a couple of them were really bad. But his entire career, Jose Calderon has been one of the best caretakers of of the basketball in the entire league. So I'm not worried about turnovers long term. Obviously, there will be some matchups where defensively he's going to be painful to have on the floor. And even in his prime, he was not a big-time scorer or a super-willing shooter. But I just he's a guy who teams are going to guard him when he's on the floor. Uh, he's able to do enough as a scorer. He's a smart passer. And he's not a total corpse on defense. So I think he's going to fill in mostly fine. Um, the idea that I would mostly be behind as an alternative would be, as Koo mentioned, essentially say, we're going to basically do the Point Blake thing and put either Luke Kennard or Langston Galloway as the nominal point guard, but really Blake Griffin is playing point guard and you just got an extra wing who can shoot. Um, and while I do kind of agree with Koo about trying the Point point Stanley thing with Stanley Johnson doing it, I would not feel comfortable having Stanley Johnson just play outright point guard. Um, He's too dependent on his right hand. I think he would lose the ball an awful lot if he was asked to be the guy bringing it up against anyone who's at least a good defensive point guard, which there's enough of those that I'd be worried about that. That said, if you do the Blake Griffin point guard situation, you can put Stanley Johnson on the floor and with that, and he can handle the ball a lot more still. So I definitely think without Ishmith, and it, for what it's worth, so if you're playing Jose Calderon, which it appears that that's what they're going to do, um, that means a lot more ball handling duties for Stanley Johnson, which I'm totally fine with. Just he is too dependent on his right hand for me to be comfortable with him as the outright point guard, I suppose. So, yeah. And then, you know, we, we already touched on it just a little bit, but next thing we're going to hop into is Bruce Brown, sort of what we think about him. Um, I'll actually start this one off, and then you guys can go into it. So, once again, I just like to say, he's not ready to be playing any point guard minutes. And, honestly, his overall, his offense is, it's, he's kind of found some ways to not be a total zero, but people ignore him on the perimeter to a comical extent, and it's totally deserved. Um, I may have said this on the podcast recently, but, so when he was in Grand Rapids, okay, so I get there really early to the games because I cover the games. So I see the full warm-ups, not just the, when they're doing layup lines and stuff, okay? And anyone who's gone to games and gone early knows that there's a lot of dudes that you think, well, these guys aren't good shooters, and then you watch them warm-up, and it's like, those guys are pretty good shooters. Bruce Brown was not that. Like, when Bruce Brown is going through warm-ups, he misses almost every shot. Um, he seems to do a little bit better from the left corner, which is where he hit his three from uh, this past night. He does seem to be a little more comfortable from that corner, but that guy is really, really not a good shooter. And so, I mean, he does a good job of sort of cutting into space to find spots. He had a couple of nice drives last night. Um, once again, I really like his potential. I think he could be a really good player, but people ignore him to such a comical extent on the offensive end that when the Pistons have their other wings healthy, it's hard for me to see, to justify him getting any really significant minutes. 
Um, I don't mind him being used as sort of a change of pace guy. Uh, he'd be a useful guy to be able to bring in every game or so. You know, maybe not every night, but bring in on a lot of nights and just have him, you know, sort of throw him out there for like a five-minute stretch and just because he'll just be a tenacious, ferocious defender for a little bit. Like, I'm okay with that. But I think when they're healthy, that's probably about how much he should be doing just because he really has a lot of work to do on offense. So, Koo, I know that you think a little bit higher of him, though. So, go ahead. What do you think of Bruce Brown? Um, just speaking on his three-point shooting, uh, Joe's absolutely right about the left corner. Uh, he's actually hit a couple threes the last five games. Against Milwaukee, he hit one. Against the 76ers, he hit one of two. Um, on Sunday, no, what is it? Yeah, Sunday, right? We played Sunday. Yeah, played Sunday, Sunday and against Monday. the Pelicans, he hit one of two. And then Monday... He, Monday he took two and missed. But then uh, the first game we played, who was it? The Thunder, he hit one or two. So he's hit a couple threes, but they've all been from that left corner, I believe. So while he – and I, I agree with Joe that he – point guard point guard Bruce is not – earlier when I was saying that, that was not like me saying that should definitely be an option. I was saying that that – I mean, it is one of the options. I'm not saying any of those ideas were a good option. I, I don't think any of them are really like – options that you really want to deal with but as Joe said I do think highly of Bruce at the beginning of the season Joe told me that uh he didn't believe Bruce would be ready to play any rotational minutes be a real rotation player and I think that as the year's gone on he's proven that he can he can play some minutes in the NBA I think his defense Joe gets on uh Joe says that he doesn't he's not as good as a defender as some people paint him as not saying I'm not sure I don't think Joe's saying he's a bad defender I think I, I I feel like I understand what Joe's saying. He's not as good as some people believe he is already. Here, let me let me and just hop in just a second so I can just say it myself. Okay, is yeah. there's some people that the way they talk about him make him sound like he's already right now the second coming of Tony Allen, and that's oh, just not no. the case. Um, he's still what I was gonna say, man. Yeah, I mean, he still fouls a bunch. Like here, I'm gonna bring it up. His foul so per 36 minutes. Bruce Brown, how many fouls do you think he has per 36 minutes? Five. Yeah, just under. That's absurd. <laughs> Dude fouls a ton for someone who doesn't actually play that much. Zaza Pachulia is up over six fouls per 36 minutes now, which is also absurd. But So he fouls a ton, and also he still sometimes gets lost off the ball a little bit. Um, he sometimes switches when he doesn't need to and such. And that's all okay. I'm not... Like you said, Koo, like, I'm not saying he's not a good defender. I've been hugely impressed with his defense. Guy is a, I think the main thing, because like you said, before the season, I didn't think he'd be ready for any minutes at all. I thought if either of the rookies would play this season, it would be Kyrie Thomas. But the main thing I underestimate is that Bruce Brown is a way better athlete than I thought he was. And so he can defend. I'm just, all I'm saying is that, you know, he's not, a superstar defender yet. He's he's a really good defender for a rookie. He still makes a lot of those same rookie mistakes. So yeah, that's all it is. I'm that's all I'm saying is just remember that he's not in all rookies do this. Not a big deal. Just he's not an all NBA defender yet. So sorry. Go ahead, Koo, keep going. Yeah, and like like Joe keeps pointing out, I don't think any of us here, me and Joe talk about it more um when we, he's a rookie, so like Joe keeps pointing out, it's not saying that this is like something to cause to like pause about. 
or anything. I mean, these are things rookies do. But like Joe said, at the beginning of the year, he didn't think he'd have any rotation. He should be in the rotation at all. And I think that he's proven that he deserves not to, no, let me not say deserve, but he's capable of playing rotational minutes for this team because his defense is really good already for a rookie. And on offense, I actually think Joe said he's, he's made himself not a complete zero. I actually think he's found a nice niche for himself on offense. He, he likes to cut to the rim a lot. He, he's one of the main, if you watch the Pistons offense, you see Blake scream and like lose his mind a lot of times because people just like to stand around the perimeter. He's actually gotten vocal with Andre and Reggie like multiple times in the last couple of games because they just stand around when he want and gets the ball in the post. But Blake, uh, not Blake, Bruce, he cuts about more than anybody else in this team. And he's found that he understands that he's not a good three point shooter. And he still, he moves around and tries to find that open space because he knows that that's going to be about the only way he can really contribute. So, while I don't think he now I see Joe making faces at me. I'm not saying he's like a plus in offense. But I don't think he's a zero either. I think he's finding ways to be somewhat of a not just nothing on offense. I think he's he's trying to do that. But he has like a lot said, of work to do to like, even be a zero yet. He's what? like he's a he's a negative. He's got work to do to be uh, a, even I mean, a zero. Oh, yeah, he got to work. He attacks the rim, man. That's the one thing I love about Yeah, but Bruce. he misses when he attacks the rim. anybody, though. Uh, and I think, though, like, it kind of goes back to being a rookie. I think a lot of his offensive stuff will smooth out to a point. Uh, I think it's kind of crazy, Joe. You really read my mind. I was going to say, hear me out and don't hate on me. He will be the modern-day Tony Allen at one point. But then you said... Don't say that. No, okay. Okay. Saying he could be Tony Allen is a very different thing from saying he is Tony Allen right now. He may be Tony Allen. That's fine. I think the same thing. Like, he, he could be that. I'm not doubting that. There's a big, just, he's not there yet. That's the main point that I'm trying to make with him is that there's some people that the way they talk about him you'd think he was already that good on defense. But he's not. He has a lot to clean up, which is okay because he's a rookie, and that's how rookies are. So it's fine to say that you think he's going to be in, down the road. That's I even wouldn't necessarily even disagree with you. I'd be like, yeah, I can see it. Let's maybe a little optimistic, but, hey, I'm not going to argue with you on that. Just He's not there yet. That's all my point is. But go ahead, Tyler. Yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying, but I think he's definitely shown a lot of flashes up to where in a couple of years down the road he can be uh, one of our lockdown defenders right up there with Stanley where we can point to the best player and say, go defend that guy. He's kind of already shown it in our couple matchups with the Rockets. Uh, he's done a damn good job. Not a great job, like you said, but he's done a pretty good job against Harden and being an irritant to him. And then even going back to the Warriors games, there's at least a few possessions where he hung right up there with Curry and was chasing him off the line and making Curry have to come in. Um, But I think definitely his offensive game, a lot of times I see it get passed out to him on the perimeter and you kind of have to, like, grit your teeth, like, oh, here it comes. Like, you know that he's probably going to end up taking that jumper and it's probably not going to fall, but... I like his confidence to still keep doing his thing and not getting ball shy or passing out right away. Still looking for his, looking for his shot and attacking the rim. And like I mentioned earlier, he's not afraid to go up against anybody. And I think as long as he keeps working offensively, that could be a huge plus in a long run. Now I just want to point out something real quick. Uh, 
Bruce Brown, I don't know what Joe said that uh, he's he was un- pretty much saying that he underrated his athleticism. Bruce Brown's athleticism. That dude. When he he is crazy athletic to me, I I think he's crazy athletic. The dude like when he goes up against somebody, like he doesn't he first of all he's not scared to go up against anybody in the paint. Like he goes in strong and hard. That man looks like first of all he looks long. His arms look long as hell when he goes down, and he just like jumps. He like Joe. <laughs> I see Joe making faces at me, but the dude is just crazy athletic to me. I think that. Uh, Definitely, I agree with Tyler that um, he has potential as, like, a defensive slasher if you play 2K. But uh, I definitely think he could be, like, a defensive slasher because he's already shown tremendous potential. Not tremendous. Let me calm down. He's already shown potential of driving to the rim and being a pretty good slasher just by his his not having fear of going up against anybody. Like, he doesn't care. Like, Steven Adams was down there. He didn't care. Like, he didn't care who was down there. He's just going up on whoever it is. He's either going to get – He's either going to draw a foul or he's just going to miss. He and Joe pointed this out earlier in the year. He has struggled a bit, and he. I think Joe said even back in his Miami days was finishing around the rim a little bit. But I like the. I think he's shown a lot of potential to be a slasher just by his willingness to go up against anybody and his athleticism just being where it's at right now. Okay, so a couple of things. So first off, just on the note of because you mentioned his arms look really long, when you stand next to Bruce Brown. There's no one I've ever seen in my life who is simultaneously so skinny and so ripped strong at the same time. Like, it looks un- he looks unnatural when you stand next to him, like, truthfully. Because he's clearly, like, a super slender guy, but he's just obviously worked out so much that he's stupidly strong. But yeah, like you said, he's a phenomenal athlete, and I did not realize that he was that kind of an athlete. And when you watch this college tape, you could tell, yeah, he's got explosiveness and such. But I think the best way to point it out is that how many times this year has have guys like kind of driven on into him and gotten to like the baseline, then tried to put up like hook shots and stuff, and he just straight blocks it. Like that guy gets off the ground and he gets off the ground really quick. It's a little bit honestly, it's like Andre Drummond, where um, so Andre Drummond, every summer he spends at the P3 or whatever training facility in California, and they do a lot of advanced tracking stuff there. And the thing that Andre Drummond rates super well as is that he jumps, and when he jumps, he gets to the peak of his height really fast. That's why he's such a good rebounder. That's also why he wins like every single jump ball that's got a decent toss. He wins more jump balls than I think anyone else in the NBA right now. Um, generally is where he ranks which that's not actually that valuable, obviously, because, you know, opening game tips don't matter. But I think Bruce Brown's got that same sort of thing where he just, he he doesn't just jump high, he gets up fast. And I did not think he was that good of an athlete. But when you see him on the floor, it's obvious he's an absolute freak. And I did not realize that he was that good of an athlete. And that's one of the reasons why I was, I figured he didn't have much shot to get any playing time this year. But when he, because he's such a freak athlete, and he's really a dog on defense too, um, you know he can play some. Just I, I think he probably would be better if he played a little less. But yeah, I mean we're all mostly in agreement though. I think Bruce, really, we all think highly of Bruce Brown. We think he can play. Um, the one thing that's worth mentioning there is that you guys have mentioned, you know, oh he he's shown some flashes as as a slasher. Now it's true. 
he has shown some flashes, but this season he's still only finishing, what is it, at the rim, so zero feet to three feet, he's shooting 53%, that's really bad, then three to ten feet away, he's at 42%, which is also pretty bad, so, I mean, look, he's a rookie, obviously work to do, but there's a reason that no one guards him at all. Like, and there's a reason why he's able to find space as a cutter so much. It's because no one's guarding him. And it's a huge detriment to the rest of the offense. So it's good that he's, at the very least, he's willing enough to, you know, like you said, he's willing enough to be like, okay, I can't shoot at all, so I'm going to go into these holes that the defense is leaving me. And he finds ways to contribute at least some, but he is a huge detriment to the offense whenever, whenever he's on the floor. And that's the main reason why I think he should probably be brought down a little bit. Um, but sort of we can go right slide right into the next thing, which is long term, what do we think of the starting lineup and sort of ideally what should the rotation look like? Um, could you can start, Tyler, you go second, and then I'll go third. Um, well, first off, I think GR3 needs to go ahead and just sit down and just like <laughs> – just leave the starting lineup. He doesn't need to be starting anymore because the whole point of bringing GR3 to the team was the fact that, oh, he can shoot threes and he can hit corner threes, so he's going to be a better fit than Stanley in the starting lineup. And I'm going to continue to poke fun at our, our friend Laz, who came on this podcast, and he's been vocal on Twitter. He, ta- he You know, Laz, like, you know, Joe knows this, and Joe can pitch in the Laz likes to take little little stabs at Stanley every now and then, and he, like, like I believe a couple months, like last month or a couple of weeks ago, he, he poked fun at his shorts and then, like, you know, you know, made fun of the fact that he, like, you know, he jumps off two feet instead of one at one point. Like, he likes to take little and subtle jabs at Stanley, at my man Stanley. You know, that's okay. That's, that's fine. But now that the GR3 ship has officially sunk, in my opinion, I'm going to make sure I talk about it because let me tell you guys what Glenn Robinson the third is shooting from three-point land on the year. He is shooting 30%, exactly 30% from three, on just as many attempts as he did last year and fewer attempts than he did the year before that. Last year, he shot 41%, although it was only in 23 games. And then the year before that, he shot 39% in 69 games. So he's having a pretty bad year. I'd call it an awful year. let Let me scoot in here a sec, okay? Because this is a point that I made... About Glenn Robinson, because in the offseason, when Laz was... Because Laz was really pushing that he thought Glenn Robinson should start over Stanley Johnson. Which, and we've talked about that a lot. Um, And honestly, and I still kind of feel like this, Stanley Johnson coming off the bench might be the best thing for Stanley Johnson. So, you know, it's all fine. But I actually wrote a piece that was entitled, Let's Pump the Brakes on Glenn Robinson. And here's why, all right? So you, Because you brought up that he shot really poorly from three this year. Glenn Robinson has not played a lot before this season. And in his career coming into this season, he'd taken almost the same number of three-pointers that John Luer had in his career when he arrived in Detroit. And we all know exactly how John Luer's three-point shot has gone since coming to Detroit. And so when, like I, you brought up earlier, I like my sample sizes, okay? And if there's a reason that we do that, and it's because there's some times where 
a guy like John Luer or it looks like potentially Glenn Robinson can show up and it's like, you know, he's hit quite a few threes. He looks like a pretty good shooter, but he hasn't taken that many. And once they're put into a starter role or another heavy minutes role, suddenly it's like, oh, they're actually not that good of a shooter. And so it just, it was not a large enough sample size to know for sure that he was a good shooter. I would guess he will shoot better than he has so far this year if he stays in the rotation. I would also guess he will play better overall than he has so far this year because he has played really poorly. But, yeah, you can – sorry, Koo, I didn't mean to interrupt you that much. You can you can keep going. Yeah, so that's – I'm pretty much all out on Glenn Robinson. Um, so there's that. But uh, I definitely think he shouldn't be starting anymore. And then we should just – I think I told Joe, I believe on the last podcast, I believe that um, Luke Kennard should just go ahead and start next to Reggie Bullock when he gets back. Just go ahead and have Reggie and Luke out there. I mean, going into the season, we had a couple people say this, and my my pushback was, you know, the defense will just be horrid. It just it would just be so bad that it doesn't matter. And I mean, Joe's pointed this out before. Uh, we don't really have any Tony Allen, you know, Andre Robersons or anything like that, but yet, what are we right now, Joe, like top top 12, top 13 in 13th, defenses? I believe. I'll double what is check it, 13th? that. I'm pretty sure it's 13th, but yeah, yeah 13th. So while Joe, while Joe looks that up, I mean, we've pre- been a pretty good defensive team, and that's with, like, not as good defensive pieces, and, and that, you can contribute a lot of that to Dwayne Casey just forcing the right shots, so, I mean, you might as well just go ahead and go with the full offense then because GR3 isn't giving you much of anything. And I don't think he's even – Joe has said that maybe, just maybe he's a, a plus defender, if anything, an average defender. I, I don't think he's even that. I, I think he's just not bringing anything right now. I think he's been pretty awful. Okay, Joe's raising his hand. Go ahead. I don't think I've ever said that Glenn Robinson is a plus defender. Yo, we can pull up the tape. Um, we can pull up the what tape. I I said, said the what I said was that having Glenn Robinson as opposed to Luke Kennard or Langston Galloway, there's a certain like overall integrity to your defense yeah, that like you get. Switch and stuff. Yeah, which is just that you don't have a guy who's quite as obviously just physically undersized or unathletic to attack. I don't think I ever said that Glenn Robinson has been a plus defender this year. I think he mostly tops out as okay. And I believe when talking about this exact topic last time, I even said that overall, I think Luke Kennard is probably a better defender than Robinson. I was just, it was one of those, I'm trying to see the logic in it things, right? See, see, and that's when Joe and gets messed up, that whole, I have to see the logic. And so I was just saying that with Glenn Robinson, just because he's a good athlete, he's long, he's strong, there's a certain amount of integrity you get on the defensive end because you know that he can kind of kind of handle guys. But sorry, I just don't put words in my mouth that ain't been coming. Joe, how about this? <laughs> Everybody listening, I'm, on our next podcast, I'm going to make sure I have the recording. Okay, I know exactly which pot he said, quote-unquote, plus defender. So I'm going to go back, I'm going to get it, and I'm going to bring it on the next pod. But anyways. I look forward to your attempts to fabricate it. Okay. okay. Now, let me finish up real quick so Tyler can get in. Uh, Pretty much I want Luke Kennard Kennard and Reggie Bullock pretty much to start and just go ahead and sit GR3 down. And even uh, 
I think that at some point we're going to have to have a discussion. Actually, me we kind of, me and Joe had a little discussion earlier. It wasn't long about it because there's not like really much of an answer to it. But Reggie Jackson is, is struggling, whether that's due to Casey, which it probably has a little bit to do with that, or he's just not the same player he was in 16 with the Pistons. But we don't have much of an answer for it, but at some point we're probably going to have to have a little bit of a at least some kind of dialogue about Reggie Jackson, his fit with this team and his play just in general, because it's been pretty bad the past couple of games, but just real quick before Tyler gets in last thing I have to say, and this is for all those GR three guys out there and all those Stanley Johnson haters. Um, <clears throat> I'm excluding, of course, excluding Stanley Johnson's last game he played where he like just decided to say, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to I'm just going to shoot no matter what we're losing. So I'm just going to just keep shooting and who cares? I'm going to exclude that one. But Joe, <clears throat> in the 12 games before that game, you want to know what Stanley Johnson is uh, shooting from three? Yeah, tell me. Actually, I'm going to ask you a different question. Do you know what? Do you remember what GR3 shooting on the year? 30%. Just over 30. Okay. On how many attempts a game? Not very many, actually. What is it? One and a half. Yeah, one and a half threes per game. Hitting, 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 hitting. Point six. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, 30.6%. Yeah, not not good. My man Stanley Johnson, over the last 12 games, excluding that last game, he just decided to say screw his percentages, which I don't know why he does it, but um, he's shooting... 34% 34% on 4.7 attempts a game. So that's 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 a little that's a little bright hook for you guys, all you uh all you GR3 lovers and uh Stanley Johnson haters. That the one thing that GR3 is supposed to do better than Stanley. The whole reason why he's in there or Stanley. Stanley Johnson's been doing better than hey, him. Cool. That's all I got to say. Hey, cool. Go ahead, Tyler. Hey, cool. Just sec. Cool. Would you do me a favor and read off Stanley Johnson's three-point percentage on the entire year? No, I'm good. Go ahead, Tyler. <laughs> you you sure you don't want to coup? No, I'm good. I'm good. Because, here, well, then I'll do it, okay? Stanley Johnson's no, no, no. shooting from three on the year, 28.9%. No, so, see, because, why you see, have to do that? I thought we're on well, the here's same the thing, Coop. I thought you we don't, like sample sizes. You don't yeah. get to just You don't get to just disappear a game from your sample size, first off. And you don't get to I mean, like nitpick one and not I, I, yeah, nitpick. Yeah, I did. The other. I mean, I, I said it off the bat that it was so, the last twelve games. So here's all I'm saying: you can't say, "Well, the one thing Glenn Robinson was brought in to do, he's not doing better than Stanley Johnson." When in fact, he's on not, the season, he has been doing better than Stanley Johnson. The no, problem is that Stanley Johnson is so terrible that he needs to be doing much better than Stanley Johnson at shooting. Sorry. Go ahead, Tyler. Well, Go ahead, Tyler. Just, Go ahead. Just, yeah. uh, first of all, the only thing I will say to defend Stanley is every other topic, Joe, you've been loving sample sizes, and now you want the full platter. You, you can't be picking and choosing. I love Stanley Johnson. Stanley Johnson for president. Okay, but on a serious topic, when it comes to the starting lineup, uh, Aku kind of touched on it, but I want to touch on it myself too. I think it's time to put Luke in the starting lineup. Um, he seems to be healthier and really feeling himself, especially in the 76ers game. Um, 
Of course, you know, you could always say, well, we need a traditional small forward, so put Stanley back into the three alongside of him. But kind of like you said, Joe, I think being the sixth man and running along that second unit is giving Stanley a lot more freedom and letting him attack the rim better and taking those shots that he needs. Um, but I think we should try and just go straight offense at this point and put Luke at the two and Reggie at the three. Um, assuming Reggie back, Reggie gets back soon and healthy. Uh, and then on top of that, kind of touching on what Koo said about the Reggie Jackson topic. Um, I agree. I think a lot of it happens to be from those injuries that he's had lately. It takes away a lot of his athleticism and he's just not able to be who. Um, but other than that, I don't have a whole lot to say. Uh, what do you think about that, Joe? I mean, oh, Koo, Koo wants to say something. He's raising his hand. Go ahead, Koo. Yeah, yeah, I'm raising my hand real quick because Joe wanted to, like, first of all, Joe's supposed to be on this Stanley Johnson boat with me, so we're going to have to kick Joe off this boat because that that, that little thing he just pulled, we're going to tell Hal, we're going to tell everybody because that thing he just pulled is not acceptable. That's first. Second, <laughs> Joe – you want to tell me what Glenn Robinson again is shooting on the just, just to remind thirty point nine thirty point six percent from three on the season thirty point okay. six. You if you take out let me tell you this, you don't want to take the last twelve games. Fine, that's fine. We can take the last eighteen games. He's played twenty one. He's played twenty one games. You take Stanley Johnson's last eighteen games. He's still shooting better than him from three. Okay, so, I'm just so saying. It's been three games. You, you just it's, okay. Cool. You might have just said cool. there's only been three cool. games. You got three shot better. Cool. Cool. What's up? What's up? Were those three games preseason games? What? Those three games were they preseason games? Or were no. they otherwise exhibition games that did not, in fact, count towards the Pistons' current record? No, they did. They did. Okay. So guess what that means? What? What's up? They count. Oh, yeah, they, That's they what I'm saying. You're talking I, no, I'm fully on. I'm just trying to keep the intellectual Yo. integrity of the podcast. That's all. Um, I don't want us to delve too far off the cliff and into barbershop Twitter. You know what I mean? That's I, all I'm saying. I don't believe. I'll end it on this. I don't believe 18 versus 21 games. I think that's just about. And that's not too big of a difference in sample size. It's not that big of a difference in sample size, but it does matter when you're just deciding to not include way, some of Stanley Johnson's worst games. DR3, like, DR3, you're not doing a good job shooting three. Part of the reason Stanley Johnson's been a bad three-point shooter is because every once in a while he just has a night where he goes 0 for 8. Like, that's yep. always been one of the issues. So it's like, yeah, well, if you take out, so he's played, what, 21 games, you said, right? So, like, yeah, if you take out, like, three or four games, Stanley Johnson's shooting much better. But those three or four games every 20-some, that's always been a problem for him. So that's why I'm saying this. Like, you can't just cut out those games. Now, now, you know, I, I wanted to end on that, what I just said, but Joe's making me respond here. It's not like I'm just going and picking random 18 games. I'm picking consecutive 18 consecutive games. His last 18 games, he's shooting a better percentage than GR3. His last 18 games versus GR3's last 18. There's been how many games? 24? We played 24 games? 25. 25? 
25? Yeah. Okay, so 13 yeah, to 12 the last 18 of these games, Stanley Johnson has outshot GR3. Okay, now, you can say that. Saying. Okay, fair. That's fair. Stanley Johnson has over those 18 games. And yet still he's not above him on the season. Here's the and, thing we can all agree on, okay? Here's what we can all agree on. Glenn Robinson has not played up to expectations. He's been terrible. He's like, I'm not ready to totally give up on him, but he's been bordering on a disaster so far. Um, It's still early enough. He still hasn't played that much, because even when he's been starting, he's played pretty limited minutes. So it'd be foolish to totally give up on him already. But so far, he's been bordering on a disaster, quite frankly. And if he doesn't find his shot back or, in general, find an improvement to his play, that could end up being a total, not a total disaster because it's a cheap contract and it's a team option for next year. So it's not going to be a long-term thing. But for this season, that could have end, that could well end up being a really, a really, really disastrous signing for the Pistons because he's been awful so far this year. There's no doubt about any of that. Um, I agree with both of you guys pretty much. Um, I think we talked about this some before the season, Tuku, and I think we both said it, that you were more wanting Stanley Johnson to start before the season. You were pretty set on that. But um, I I pretty much want the Luke Kennard, Reggie Bullock starting duo for the same reasons you said. Um, screw it. Go for offense, basically. They're going to... Their defense is sort of superficially good where they don't necessarily lock guys down. They just do a good job of playing good team defense, which is a credit to Dwayne Casey. Uh, So, you know what? Screw it. Just play Reggie Bullock and Luke Kennard and just count on playing smart defense and forcing teams into the wrong, into the right shot attempts. And that's going to be that. And then get as much offense on the floor as you can. I'm totally behind that. That's what I think they should do once they're healthy again. Um, the other big thing that I want to see is I want John Luer to play over Zaza Pachulia. I think Zaza Pachulia makes you actively worse when he's on the floor. He fouls a ton. He turns the ball over a comical amount for a guy who has the ball so little. Here's a here's a statistic for you, okay? So Blake Griffin handles the ball a ton, right? Blake Griffin also turns the ball over a decent amount because he handles the ball a ton. Zaza Pachulia has the same turnover percentage as Blake Griffin does. That is absurd. He turns the ball over so much. And on defense, he's not even that good. Like, not even from terms of being smart. There's all the time he'll do... He'll go into a stupid double team on someone for no reason. He'll sometimes try and switch on to guys for no reason. So I just... He does good screens. He's not totally useless. But I think Zaza Pachulia actively makes you worse. So I think they should play John Luer over Zaza Pachulia. And then the the way, the sort of the ideal rotation to me always has been have either, depending on how deep you want to go, and for this Pistons team it might be nine, but go nine or ten guys deep and then have one or two spots on the end there. So if you have a nine-man regular rotation, then two spots on the end. If you have a ten-man regular rotation, one spot on the end. And with those sort of last spot or two, sort of rotate the rest of the bench guys through depending on matchups. Um, first off, because it uses all your guys, it helps keep guys a little bit fresher. Then second off, I think that that's a good way to sort of keep morale up on the team because even those guys on the very end of the bench, they know that they're going to get in every you know five or six games or so. 
and I think that's meaningful. Steve Kerr has talked about that a whole bunch um, since he's become the coach of the Warriors because he does that sort of a thing where he makes sure to rotate the end of the bench guys in, even if it's just like 10 minutes every few nights. He tries to do that. He's talked about a whole bunch, and obviously he's got experience with it. He was a guy who came off the bench for a lot of his NBA career. So, you know, I think that that's probably the ideal rotation. Um, but I think Luke Kennard and Reggie Bullock should be starting. Um, I don't mind Bruce Brown getting some minutes occasionally, probably not a regular rotation guy. And I want John Luer playing over Zaza Pachulia. And those are the important things. So, um, just because you brought it up, and this can probably be what we finish on because we're at 51 minutes. But Reggie Jackson. So, uh, I think we're all pretty mostly positive Reggie Jackson guys, um, which is to say that there's a lot of people who think Reggie Jackson actively makes you worse, um, and none of us are that. But I'm I'm probably a bigger Reggie Jackson fan than you guys. I think that it may be getting to the point where something has to be changed, uh, where they may just need a new point guard. And I think a lot of it has to do with Dwayne Casey because... Reggie Jackson is a guy who's only going to be really effective if you let him run pick and rolls. And because he's really, really good at that. He's not that good at much else. He's not a good shooter. He's not a very good defender. He's not a great off-ball player in any way. And (laughs) that's how they've used him. They have not used him as a pick and roll ball handler. So clearly Dwayne Casey does not think Reggie Jackson is good enough to be allowed to be a sort of a a fulcrum of the offense as a pick-and-roll ball handler. And if you're not going to let him do that, then there's really no reason to have him on the team, quite frankly. So I can't imagine what they could do. Uh, there's all sorts of reasons why he's why it's, it would be very tricky for the Pistons to upgrade at the point guard spot. But I'm actually starting to think that just because I mean, because I mean, we've railed against it a whole bunch, Koo, right? That Dwayne Casey's not let him run more pick and rolls. At some point, we just have to accept that that's how it's going to be, that Dwayne Casey does not believe in Reggie Jackson as that kind of a player. And if you're not going to use him like that, get someone else who can be more effective as a different role. So you guys can give your two cents on that. Koo, you can go first. I mean, yeah. Um, I, I asked Joe before this even started that um... – and, and Tyler, too. And um, that, yeah, obviously, Dwayne Casey, we believe, probably just doesn't believe in Reggie Jackson as much as Joe does. But I've reached, the, I've reached the point where I'm questioning whether that's even, whether Dwayne Casey's even wrong. Now, obviously, I'm not saying Reggie Jackson is more effective doing something else. That's who he is. He's going to be a pick-and-roll ball handler. That's what, that's what he is. But I'm at the point where I'm questioning whether he's that effective at it anymore. That it should it should be that Dwayne Casey should change things and make it happen. I mean, I'm a bit of a crossroads because I've always believed that when you're a coach, you make you don't fit your system around your players. You you uh, you change your system depending on your personnel. You fit what your players are. So I've always been a big believer in that. But at this point, I. And when, let me just start this off by this. I used to hate Reggie Jackson, and I was before I really got like in depth with this. And I I slowly became more and more of a fan of his. I realized how how good he actually was. He's not what he used to be at all. He's not what he was back in sixteen, fifteen. He's not that anymore. 
And um, like Joe said, it, it, I don't know like what an answer is to it because it's not like the Pistons really have any options really to go about this outside of a trade. And we're so screwed cap wise, and no other team probably really wants Reggie. We're gonna have if we were to trade Reggie, it'd have to be like assets attached to it. And do we really want to give up a t- assets for a point guard we're getting back who may not even be that much better than Reggie? Because we're not gonna get like Kemba Walker for Reggie Jackson and, and what a second first round pick. That's not going to happen. So I like I agree with Joe. I mean, I think I think the dialogue needs to be started now. Uh, I understand people that want to like give it a little bit more time. I I'll give it more time, but me personally, I think it's time to start talking about Reggie Jackson now. And it's kind of sad because people forget that Reggie Jackson was a part of the big reason why the Pistons returned to the playoffs for the first time and since 2008. So it's kind of sad, but I mean, I think it's about time that we need to start talking about whether Reggie Jackson needs to be either replaced or I saw some people bringing up, just his minutes being taken away, not all of his minutes, but his just losing some minutes for like, if we were to get a different guy at point guard at backup, just like take some of his minutes away or maybe just like back him up. I don't know, but I think it's time for something well, to talk about. Okay. Here's the thing I point to. All right. So what is Reggie Jackson's since the time he arrived in Detroit? Okay. He, so even when he was at his peak, that first full season in Detroit where he was awesome, right? Um, what was probably his biggest weakness on the offensive end, at least? Are you asking? Yeah, yeah. Go ahead, Tyler. Probably shooting, right? From the deep, from three, yeah. I should say. Would you agree with that, Koo? That was probably his biggest issue, not a strong three-point shooter? Yeah. What do you think, what percentage of his shots this season do you think have come from beyond the three-point line? Over 50 not quite. Yeah, no doubt. He's at 48%. 48% of his shots are from beyond the three-point line. That is by far the most in his career. Last year, 29%. The year before that, 27%. The year before that, so his first full year in Detroit, 26%. Okay? The system has set up in such a way that they're telling him that the thing that is pretty clearly his worst offensive attribute three-point shooting, is the thing they're having him do the most now. They are treating him like he's taking more three-pointers than anyone else on the team. And when you look at a lot of his other numbers, it's actually pretty encouraging. His free-throw rate is as high as it has ever been in his career. He's drawing fouls at a better rate, literally. He has never drawn fouls at a rate this high. It's just barely over top of what it was his first full year in Detroit. So his first full year in Detroit is his second-best free-throw rate ever at 27%. So free-throw rate is um, the percentage of your field goal attempts that result in free-throws, okay? So in 2015-2016, he drew it on 27.1%. This season, 27.2%. He's shooting the ball really well in the restricted area this year. Once again, as high as it has literally ever been, he has never been as efficient at the rim as he is right now. He is shooting pretty well in the mid-range as well, which he's always been pretty good at. He's been shooting well in the mid-range at pretty much every level. And it's kind of like he's getting to the rim at a pretty good rate as well. Um, he has gotten to the rim at better percentages than he has this year, which is the biggest drop-off he's had. But simply put, when you look at the numbers, 
there's a lot that indicates that he's still fully capable of being a really effective player. One of his best attributes, and it's ironic because his reputation as a player is um uh, his reputation as a player is as a guy who's not a good passer, not a good facilitator. Whereas he takes really good care of the ball, four point four assists per game against just one point nine turnovers per game. That's a really good ratio. He does a really nice job of taking care of the basketball. That's a better assist to turnover ratio than Blake Griffin has this season, like by a pretty decent margin. Um, so there's a lot that indicates that Reggie Jackson can still be an effective player, but he can't be in the role that they're using him. And you know, like you said, Ku. Maybe Dwayne Casey is right, and Reggie Jackson is just, he's not good enough for him to warrant a larger offensive role. But here's what I know for a fact. He is definitely not good enough in the role that they have him in. And putting him in this role is not going to work. Just, it won't. And maybe putting him into a large role is not going to work either. But at the very least, there's a history there, and there's numbers that suggest that that could work out. That if you let him get back to his strengths, things will go better. We know for a fact, there's no reason to think that he's going to be effective in this role. Where you say, okay, your biggest weakness your entire career, which is being a three-point shooter, that's now your game. You're now a spot-up three-point shooter. I mean, it's just, I don't know why they thought that was the answer, and but they did. So, I don't know, Tyler, if you want to add anything else onto that. Um... I think you guys hit a lot of it, um, especially, Joe, like you were just saying about how they forced him into being primarily a spot-up shooter. A lot of the looks that you see him getting is Blake backing into the paint, uh, drawing the double team, and then Reggie rotates to the top of the key or around that area, and then he passes it out to him, and Reggie either hesitates for a second or takes the three right away. Um, By the way, on I, that I note, that's another super frustrating thing schematically is why they keep using Reggie Jackson in that role as the entry pass guy. You should have that be your best shooter on the floor every single time. That should be Reggie Bullock. That should be Langston Galloway. That should be Luke Kennard because that guy is the closest man. So that's the easiest guy for them to help off of and also the easiest guy for Blake to pass back to. So I have no idea why they keep using Reggie Jackson as that guy because it's just, once again, there's just... It doesn't make sense how they're using him. Sorry, you can keep going, Tyler. No problem. It could be kind of Casey's way of saying, like, well, you did have a role here, so I'm going to try and give you a role. Like, And so he keeps trying to go back to him with that, even though he doesn't necessarily want him to. Uh, I don't really see a whole lot that we could do at this point, to be honest, and hope that his shooting picks up somehow or – schematically like we said Casey wakes up and makes some changes um the one dark horse move that I did have I was wanting to make but Milwaukee beat us to it and it can't be done now as I really thought George Hill could have been a player that could have fit that role pretty nicely um looking at his stats here in the year he's shooting 44 percent for three so I think that could have been a nice pickup for us and probably not for a whole lot I think the Bucks gave up John Henson and Delhi, so we could have done something. And a first there. round pick. Oh wow, okay, I forgot about that part. Yeah. But um, other than that, I don't really see that there's a whole lot we can do. Just kind of keep riding it out and hope that it connects a little bit better, or kind of like maybe Koos said, take some of his minutes and spread it out a little bit more. If Ish comes back and 
plays healthy, maybe give a few more of those to Ish or just put Luke in that role that he's been playing with the outlet pass guy for the spot up and give Luke some more minutes. But uh, it's kind of like we've been repetitively saying, I just don't think he's the right guy for this scheme that Casey wants. Um, real quick, Joe, before I say what I need to say, they threw that first round pick more. Was it because of George Hill? Was it more on like you have to take Delhi's contract? Well, so the, whole, the whole trade um, for the Bucks was much more about unloading salary than it was about George yeah. Hill. Um, I was just putting in that they did give up a first round pick in that. But so George Hill is only, his contract is this year and next year, and it's like $18 million. But next year's is only guaranteed for one. And then Delhi and John Henson are both making just under $10 million this year and next year. And the Bucks have to pay some people this offseason. Chris Middleton, um, Eric Bledsoe, and Malcolm Brogdon, I think, all are up for contracts this offseason. So they had to clear some space. Uh, so basically that trade for them was we're getting off these contracts so we can pay these guys next year. And for this season, I mean, George Hill isn't a useless player. He's a guy who can even help them a little bit this year. So it made a lot of sense for them. And so I don't know if there's any trade that the Pistons could have put together that would have made the same amount of sense because um, the Pistons are not in, and obviously the Pistons are not a good in a good salary cap situation, but they're not as desperate to get salary cap space, if that makes sense, because... They don't have three, I'm literally, three starters. I'm their second, third, and fourth best player probably, all needing to get paid this next offseason and them having no money to pay them. Um, So, like, if Andre Drummond and Luke Kennard and Reggie Bullock, so Reggie Bullock obviously is, but, like, if those three guys all were done with their contracts after this season and all needed to get paid, then it'd be like, okay, give up Reggie Jackson and John Luer in a first-round pick for George Hill. And now you can pay those guys this offseason. You've got a guy who can help you for now and figure out the rest later. But it just wouldn't have made as much sense for the Pistons. Um, but, yeah, like you said, Tyler, it's for now at least it doesn't make a whole lot of sense because the problem is that the Pistons don't have another guy on the roster who can really be a starting point guard unless you go all the way in on Point Blake which, I mean, you could do, but remember, Blake Griffin's probably going to get hurt and miss, like, 10 games at some point this season. So, (laughs) I mean, I just, I don't think that they're going to do that. And so you need to get a starting point guard back somehow. And it just, who's going to give up their starting caliber point guard for Reggie Jackson, right? And that's, that's the issue. So you'd have to find a team who has a starting caliber point guard, and wants to now tank, I guess, or something like that, or a three-team trade or something, and it just it's really convoluted to do it. And so once again, I want to emphasize, I think Reggie Jackson can be that guy for the Pistons still. I truthfully do believe that. I look at the numbers, you look at the some of the games he's had this season, I think he is still good enough that he can be that third guy who can occasionally fill in and pick up the slack on a night where Blake Griffin is out or is just off. I think he can be that guy. I know he cannot be that guy in the role that they have him in. So if they really are not going to let him run pick and rolls with Andre Drummond, you need a different point guard. 
But it'll open up a lot more after this season because then Reggie Jackson becomes an expiring contract. And then it's a lot easier to move him. So we'll see how things go. And who I knows? think that's probably what they're going to do. He'll be much easier and his, his value will be much higher once that happens. So they'll probably just wait until that happens so they can get the most value possible. We'll probably just have to stick this out. Yeah, and once again, I, I seriously think, I mean, once again, you look at the numbers. He's finishing at the rim at a really good rate. He's drawing more fouls than he ever has in his career. Um, you know, there's enough numbers here to suggest that he's not, Going, that he's, he's going to be able to be effective if you put him in a, different, in a better role. Then also, he's probably going to shoot at least a little bit better from three than he has this year. Um, as a Piston, he shot 34% from three. And other than last year where it really came down at the end of the season when he tried to come back from being hurt too soon, and like the previous two years, he shot 35% and 35% from three. So there's good reason to believe that his three-point shooting is going to pick up at least a little bit, which would help a great deal. I mean, if he sh- if he was shooting 35% instead of 33%, we feel not as miserable about this, quite frankly. So, you know, there's a decent chance that he can pull it around, and I also wouldn't totally rule out them changing up the scheme a little bit because there have been times, there's been a couple of games at least, where they've let him do more. But, yeah, I just, if they're going to play like this, it just... He doesn't fit with it, and I think that that is a, mostly it's a failure of doing Casey, quite frankly, Um, but also part of it is, and I said this today on Twitter, is that part of it is also a failure of Reggie Jackson, because the reality is, Reggie Jackson knew that he was going to have to be more effective off the ball with Blake Griffin around, right? Like, we all knew that. It was obvious that even if they still let him get a heavy dosage in the pick and roll and such, he was going to have to be more effective in the in this sort of a role in some way, shape, or form. So he had ample warning to try and prepare for it, and he clearly was, didn't do well enough at it. So, yeah, I just, I'm pretty bummed about it because anyone who's read me and followed me knows that I think really highly of Reggie Jackson. I think he's a good player, but... I think he just he does not fit even a little bit the role that they're trying to put him in. And that might just be that and that'll be too bad. So yeah. Yeah, I think another thing is uh whether this is system or I think a lot has a lot to do with just how Blake is now. One of the problems I've noticed is that he does a he does a decent amount of picking you can't say pick and roll, but he does a lot of like pick and roll, pick and pop things with Blake. But one of the things is Blake just never rolls. He's just he doesn't roll no more. He just he's he all he does he gets the switch and then he works out of a mismatch. Now, if Blake rolls a little bit more, maybe that could help Reggie because Reggie still, like Joe said, he is the entry pass to Blake half more than like on most occasions, and that's because they're doing the little pick and pop with him or pick and roll whatever you want to call it, and it's Reggie's guy switching down onto him and then Reggie's giving it to him. Now, if, if maybe if Blake rolled more, maybe Reggie would have more of success in the pick and roll with Blake, but that's just not happening. Like Joe said, whether that's system or just Blake, the way Blake is now, it might be, I think it's more of just how Blake is now, but either way, it's just not helping Reggie because this is not the type of player he is. You can't, you can't expect him to, to succeed at a high level and the team to succeed at a high level of him just not doing what, not playing to his strengths and 
Joe's pretty high on Reggie, but like I said, I'm just I'm 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 officially concerned and worried whether he's that effective at it anymore, like he was, to where it should be changed. And like it, it's it's a bit of a crossroads, really. It really is. It, it really is a, a tough issue because at one point you can say he's not that effective at it. He may not be that effective at it to where you should change it. And then you have other people that will just say, well, you fit your team around the players you have. You don't fit a You don't force a system onto players that don't that won't fit it. So I understand both sides, but it's like, like we obviously have done now for a good chunk of time. It's time to start having a dialogue about it because something needs, something needs to change. Well, here's the other thing that makes me hesitant to throw in the towel on Reggie Jackson. Okay. And this is something that I think pretty much everyone would agree with to get the most out of Andre Drummond. You need Reggie Jackson or a guy like Reggie Jackson in the pick and roll. And, even if he's not as effective as he used to be, we know that Reggie Jackson and Andre Drummond are effective in the pick and roll, right? And if you get the sort of point guard who, well, he's a better shooter, he fits the role that Reggie Jackson has for it, has been playing him better, etc., that may well be well and good. But if you do that, Andre Drummond is not going to be the same guy going forward. And... That's a big thing to me because the way yeah, I see I'm this roster that. is that Blake Griffin is your number one option, right? Bonafide superstar number one option. And then you almost have to look, ideally, you almost have to look at the Jackson Drummond pick and roll as sort of a fused one player as your second option. And then Jackson and Drummond individually sort of them fuse together to make your third option then. Those guys, Reggie Jackson just running isolation, then Andre Drummond post-ups, and him doing the point-center thing. And connected into this, I think part of this is a Blake Griffin thing. And this is this was something last year, it hasn't been as big of an issue as it was last year. But he needs to be better about doing the little things right when he doesn't have the ball in his hands. And look, part of it I get. All right? I said this about Andre Drummond plenty of times too, right? Blake Griffin is a superstar. He takes a huge load on both in, on offense. And when you have a guy like that, they take plays off. They don't go hard with all of their stuff all the time, right? That's just, that's a reality of NBA basketball. But I think he needs to be more willing to do the basic little things, right? We're not asking him to be, you know, running around like a maniac all over the place and setting hard screens constantly and constantly cutting to the basket or anything like that but he needs to do better than just going through the motions off the ball and this thing I brought up so in the last game against the Sixers obviously Blake didn't play and their response was basically to have Andre Drummond run all of the Stan Van Gundy stuff from early last year and it looked pretty good it was like oh they can still do this and it works pretty well yeah. there is no reason they can't do that with Blake Griffin and John Luer's place like it's not like you know it's not like this is last year when Blake Griffin goes out and Anthony Tolliver comes in and it's like well, you know Anthony Tolliver is a much better shooter so obviously the whole geometry of the floor changes. John Luer is not a better shooter than Blake Griffin. Blake Griffin's a much better shooter than John Luer is. There's no reason that you can't do these things when Blake Griffin is on the floor instead of John Luer, and so it's kind of like and look once again I get it Blake Griffin's a superstar he does a lot. I'm not asking him to go balls to the wall every single moment he doesn't have the ball in his hands. But you got to do better than just going through the motions. 
You, and one big thing also is a sort of mentality, is that when the ball is moving around, he oftentimes kills ball movement because he gets the ball, and instead of making a quick decision, he just holds it, right? He wants to sort of survey the court and then make his move. He's got to be more willing to sort of recognize, okay, um, you know, the first, a good example, right, when I brought this up, was with Marcus Morris when he first got to the Pistons because he had a reputation as a real ball stopper. And when he first got to the Pistons, he got a lot of opportunities to sort of to just go get his own shot. I mean, they gave him lots of times. There were plenty of possessions where they were just like, okay, Marcus, go do something, right? And the thing I talked about a lot with him was, and for what it's worth, that season he did a really good job of it, is sort of recognizing when, okay, this is my chance to go get my shot and do my thing. And when, and when he's not doing that, he needs to be able to sort of like fall back and just be another cog in the offense, right? And sort of just do his best 3 and D impersonation on sometimes. And obviously Blake Griffin is a very different player from Marcus Morris, but it's a similar thing. He needs to be able to recognize when, okay, this is my shot, this is my time to do my thing. I get to sort of dink around with the ball, do some rhythm dribbles, the whole thing. But also I think he needs to do a better job of recognizing when, okay, this possession is not about me. I'm just going to be another cog in the offense. I'm just going to be a supercharged stretch four, basically. Because here's the thing. He's shooting 36% from three on, like, six attempts per game. That's incredible. Like, that's legitimately. He's Anthony Tolliver shooting the ball from three. Like, that's not even an understatement. That's how effective he's been. And obviously, he's a phenomenal passer. He can drive the ball off the three-point line. Like, he just, he needs to be willing to have possessions where he just, he's just another cog in the machine, and he's just a supercharged stretch four. And that'd be good for everybody. It'd help other guys run the offense better. It would result in less Andre Drummond post-ups, more Andre Drummond rolling to the rim, which is obviously a good thing. And also, it would help him conserve some energy, because there'd be more possessions where he just catch a ball, whip a pass right away. That's a lot less tiring than backing a guy down from the three-point line every possession. So I think it'd be it would be a really healthy thing for the offense. But that's that. We're over an hour, so we're gonna do closing thoughts. Anything you have to say we didn't get into? Koo, you go first. Yeah, I'll let Tyler go first. We haven't okay. heard from him. Tyler, anymore. you go well, first. Closing thoughts. Um, not not a whole lot more to touch on. I think we talked just about everything. Um, I know a lot of people are kind of panicking with this uh, streak here, with the losing streak, but. I think we have some pretty winnable games coming up after this Milwaukee and Boston game. Uh, we have this game against Charlotte first coming up, which I think is barely, very winnable if we play right. We just got to try and slow Kemba up. Uh, I think I've seen one against Washington after that, which is winnable. Uh, I just want everyone to remember we're really hurt right now. We, we're without four or five key rotational players, and I think the boat will smooth out and things will get better. I mean, yeah, we talked about a lot in the pod, and, uh, you know, not much to say other than the fact that I just want to touch on the fact that it's time, Pistons fans, you got to, like, chill out. It's not time to, like, completely pick, click the panic button. But uh, one thing that I, I do understand is that these past games, if you just looked at them on the schedule, you would be like, oof, that's, those games are going to be pretty hard to win. But then if you take into account the fact that, like, each game had like a very key player on the opposing team get hurt. And then especially the first 76ers game, we were up by 15 in the late third quarter. Like those games, 
while you're in, while the Pistons are injured and these teams are clearly really good teams, in that situation, you have to, like, I'm not saying you have to win each one of them, but you have to pull at least one or two of those ones out. Especially the, the 76ers game was really disappointing when you're up by 15 and then they, like, they zapped that pretty quickly. The Once you got up by 15, they, they zapped right back down to, like, six in a matter of minutes. It was, it, you can't have that happen. So while I'm saying calm down, we're injured a bit, tough schedule i do understand that the pistons should probably have pulled out at least one of these with considering the circumstances on the other team so i mean there's nothing else i really got to say about um i think that the pistons obviously i'm gonna hit this but uh, i think the pistons really have missed stanley uh these past couple games on defense like really bad well especially Um, because stanley johnson and, and he has a history of it too he's the perfect guy to defend both Giannis and also um Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons. He is the perfect guy to defend those guys, um, and he's done an awesome job of it in the past, so there's no doubt about that. Missing him, especially for that matchup, is, and particularly in this last game, you consider what Ben Simmons did to John Luehr, that should be illegal what he did to John Luehr. So it's not just that Stanley Johnson has proven to be really effective against Ben Simmons, but not only that, they were they had no one to guard him at all. So, yeah, sorry, keep going. Yeah, that's, I mean that's pretty much that. That's pretty much all I gotta say. The Pistons have missed. I our friend uh, Martin. You got to go follow him. I, what I forgot his uh, Twitter handle. Hi, but, I'm Martin. I think. What is it? Pretty sure it's Hi, I'm Martin. Yeah, go ahead and follow him. He put up. A, he puts up really good stats. But um, he put up that the Pistons have really like struggled against shooting guards, and a couple of them. Me and Joe had hit on it already because we were complaining that you know. You have Stanley Johnson. Why is he not? Because I one that just comes off the bat real fast for me is Josh Richardson. He wasn't guarding him at all in like the overtime game against him. He went off against us. But there, like throughout the whole year, just go check out that tweet by Vaughn. Like the Pistons have been getting killed by shooting guards, and a lot of it is the fact that Stanley Johnson just hasn't been guarding them. And then recently, Stanley Johnson hasn't been here. So if you really want to see how, if you're a, a against Stanley guy and bad Stanley, whatever. I'm not even trying to, like, do this whole standing thing that I do for Stanley. Like, for real, if you want to go see how how much he is valued to this team, just go check that out because without him, we have literally – I mean, some people can say Bruce Brown, even though, like Joe said, he's not that good as we people say he is. We don't have nobody else to do what Stanley does, even a little bit, really. So if you want to see his value, just look at the last five games, and it is what it is. Yeah, um, like Tyler brought up, uh, this Charlotte game coming up is actually low-key a really important game for them. So once again, I think that it's important for the Pistons to get out of December at 500 at the very least. If they do that, that'd be a success because this is an absolutely brutal month. I think they have Atlanta in like a week. Other than that, every single other team on this month should have a winning record when they play them, which is, and some of them are awesome, obviously. The Bucks are the second-best team in the East. Um, they played the Warriors and beat them, actually, of course. OKC's got the second-best record in the West. Um, Philly's third in the East and played Philly twice. But Charlotte is an important game for a couple of reasons. They play Charlotte twice in their next five games. Um, Charlotte is not only one of the more winnable games in this stretch, but also they are right behind Detroit in the standings, literally. 
So it'll be really important for them to win that one. Um, Then also they've got games against Orlando, Washington, and Indiana at the end of the month. Which, once again, not easy, but those will be winnable games. Oh, winnable. So they're going to have to take some of those because these other ones are tough. And the thing... So, yeah, I kind of agree with Kuhu, which is that calm down a little bit. This is a brutal stretch, and the Pistons have had some injuries and such. Like, this isn't ready. This isn't time to panic totally. There is one trend, though, that is worth being worried about. Is that So the Pistons beat the Warriors, obviously. Other than that, have the Pistons really beaten a team this season? where you think that team's a really good team. Like, they beat Toronto, too, barely. Houston. They beat a, they beat a Ben Simmons-less Sixers earlier in the season. Tyler uh, Tyler mentioned Houston, but... Houston hasn't played well this Houston's year. not looking good. So they hardly count. So they barely beat Toronto in Dwayne Casey's return there, and you beat the Warriors when the Warriors were still kind of broken. Against most good teams that they've played this year, they haven't just gotten beaten. They've gotten beaten badly. And that's started to become a real trend. And, I mean, it's not enough to be like, oh, this is for sure a problem. But it's something to keep in mind. Because if it keeps up, it will be officially a problem. And one of the bigger issues within that is that their offense in particular has been an issue in those games. The Pistons' defense, there was actually, gosh, I should have found it before this. Um, there was a guy who tweeted it out, that even in games the Pistons lose, their defense performs. The games where they lose, though, their offense gets slaughtered. And once again, an issue is that that's been a trend for Dwayne Casey teams for a long time, is that his offenses struggle against good defenses. Because it's just, there's not enough creativity in them. So good defenses, well-coached defenses, they lock in on what they do, and they don't have a, and the Dwayne Casey doesn't have a counter to that then. So, not time to panic about it, but that's a real trend, and it's something to look out for. So, anything less that you guys want to say before we wrap up? No, that's it for me. Okay. Now, go ahead and, uh, everybody, now that I'm the head of, Sci Expert Piston Powered. Make sure you go ahead and give me those views. Check me out. Uh, we're trying to uh, bring Piston Powered back, and you know, it suffered a little bit of a. It's not. It suffered a little bit of a down, but you know, we're trying. I'm trying to bring it back, and we're going to bring some good content out. Go ahead and check that out. Follow me on Twitter at Kukahill NBA, and just you know, support me. You guys, you guys like what I have to say on these podcasts. I'm sure you guys are going to love what I have to right on those pieces over there. So go ahead and check it out and give me some support, y'all. I don't think anyone actually likes what you have to say. Everybody loves me out there. <laughs> no. Loves me here. No, they love me. That's nah, it. Nah, I, I bring the entertainment. Joe's the Debbie Downer. With you're, all, just, you're, just, you're just a prop for me to make fun of. That's all you are. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm, I'm a pretty good damn prop. That's all you're here for. Okay. Yep. Um. So, yeah. So follow Koo on Twitter. Koo Cahill NBA. Follow Tyler on Twitter. T Mormon NBA. Follow me on Twitter, Joe underscore truck, and uh, stay beautiful, everybody, and go Pistons.